Open with me to John chapter 3. Our text for today's sermon is the 16th verse. One that many of us wouldn't have to open to because we know it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, hold on, Blake. Where's the manger? Where's the, 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 the wise men? Where's the baby? Come on, this is, this is the Christmas worship service. Where's, where's the three kings we just sang about? I understand. Hold on, let me explain for a second. Did you know that the Christmas classic, Miracle on 34th Street, which premiered in 1947, was originally released in June and not Christmas time? You can see it on the poster here. The studio knew that it had a potential hit on its hands, so they wanted to release it in the summer to get the summer crowds, to get the summer money. Producers knew that selling a Christian, a Christmas movie in the heat of the summer would be a tough sell. So what they did is they tweaked it, they spun it, and they billed it as a romantic comedy, a love story and totally downplayed the Christmas theme. You can even see it on the poster here that I have up. Here you have the the two film stars, at least what they thought were the stars of the film, which is Maureen O'Hare and John Payne, and they're facing each other, and they're eyeing each other, as two people that are in love. And they downplayed the Christian theme. You can see Kris Kringle and the little girl in the background. In essence... It was a Christmas story pretending to be a love story. It was a Christmas story pretending to be a love story. Today, for us, it is quite the opposite. We celebrate a love story that many times gets lost in Christmas. We're celebrating a love story today. With all the hubbub and busyness of the season, we lose sight of Jesus' birth of God coming in the flesh, and which is the conclusion to a great love story. We're celebrating the conclusion of God loving us so much that he gave his only son. It's the greatest love story that's ever been told. It has all the elements of a great love story. Not being a reader of romance novels. Anybody here read romance novels? I don't read them. I don't read love stories. But I did some research this week on what are the critical elements to writing a great love story. And it basically boils down to four elements. There's four elements to a great love story. If you want to write a great love story, it has to have these elements. And the first one is there is an initial meeting. People meet early on in the book. In the great movie, An Affair to Remember, anybody seen that with Cary Grant and Deborah Carr, or Kerr, however you want to say it? 
a great love story where they meet on board a ship going across the Atlantic, and they're both engaged to somebody else, but they meet and they fall in love, and they decide to, they're so in love that they decide to break off their engagements when they get home. And on board, they have this, what seems like a perfect relationship. It's a beautiful relationship, and they fall in love. They seem absolutely perfect together. That's the opening couple chapters of the Bible, isn't it? That's the opening chapters. The couple, God and man, meet. God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and they were perfect together. Perfect love between God and man. Perfect relationship. Perfect obedience. Remember how I said the Ten Commandments, you can never do it? They did it. And they, were, they, they loved obeying God. Their heart beat for obeying God. In other words, we found perfect meaning and purpose and fulfillment in God alone. Basking joyfully under his authority. Diligently working the garden and loving it eagerly anticipating each day to be with God again. Like, remember back when you were first in love. You anticipated the next day to be with that person. That's how it was for mankind in the Garden of Eden. But in all great love stories, there always comes a barrier to overcome. There is a barrier to overcome. There's an initial meeting, but in great love stories, there's a barrier that keeps the two apart. That is the genius that is Shakespeare. If you ever read Romeo and Juliet, you see that they, Moroon and Juliet, they meet at a party, they see each other, and they meet at a party and they fall deeply in love. But they find out that they're each from different families and those families hate each other. There's a feud going on between the Montagues and the Capulets. And these two lovers can never be together. The barrier of hatred is so great between those two families that they forbid them to even see each other. It is forbidden love. They can never be together. And the brilliant Shakespeare plays on this throughout the whole play, doesn't he? The barrier of the family, the hatred. There will be no happily ever after for Romeo and Juliet. So too with God and us. There's a barrier. It's not a feud. It's far worse. We have the barrier of original sin. Sin. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are tempted to eat from the one tree that God told them not to. You can eat from any tree, but not this one. Not this one. You can't handle living in the world without me there. And they are tempted and they disobey. They sin. They eat. They disobey God. And the Bible says that in chapter 3, that something instantly changed, doesn't it? Something instantly changed in their relationship. You see it in verse 13 of chapter 3 in Genesis. You see when God comes back down, he realizes what happens. And you remember what he says? 
What have you done? What have you done? Now, it all depends on your view of God, how you see God, how you hear verse 13. Some hear it in an angry, condemning voice. I'll tell you how I hear it. I hear great pain. I hear great sorrow. Because God is telling us the relationship is broken. There's a barrier here. I can't be with you anymore. What have you done? There's hurt and sorrow and pain in his voice because God is telling us that the relationship is different. There's now a barrier to our love that is insurmountable. We cannot love God. In what have you done? There is great sorrow because he can no longer be with the one that he loves. Think of it as a great love story when that barrier is there and you cannot be with the one you love. How your heart aches. Isaiah 59, 2, the prophet explains to the people about this barrier and he says, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you and he will not hear you. Sin has created a barrier of God's love for us and our love for God. That's why scripture tells us that he hates sin. Scripture tells us over and over he hates sin. Have you ever asked the question why? Why does God hate sin? There's a lot of answers to that, but... But the one that I see coming up again and again is God hates sin because it, sin separates him from those he loves the most. And he hates that. When you're separated from the one you love the most in this world, don't you hate that thing that keeps you apart? In a way, the story of redemption is perhaps one of the saddest kinds of love stories. It's, the, it's a story of unrequited love, isn't it? It's one of the saddest love stories you can watch or read. God loves us, and he's always pursuing us, isn't he? Throughout scripture. But sin blinds us to his love. We can't see his love. He leaves wonderful, precious providential gifts on our door and we don't see it. We don't see the common grace that, that is in our lives every day. How he protects us and cares for us. We're blind to how he reaches out to us. Don't we see that as Christians with the world? How, how even as we read John 3.16, he loved the world so much he gave his only son to the world and yet the world does not love God, doesn't see that wonderful act of love, doesn't acknowledge it, doesn't believe it. We, in our natural state, are blind to God's love. It's an unrequited love. And if you read the scriptures with that in mind, you can hear God's heart over and over again in the Old Testament. What have you done? Sin not only blinds us, 
but it causes us to have actually a repulsive reaction to God, doesn't it? Kind of like Christine when she sees the Phantom of the Opera, drawing back, running away. Sin causes us to turn away. Sin causes us to run away from God. That's what Romans 1, 2, and 3 is telling us. To hide from God, just like the Garden of Eden, isn't it? And so, without your and my sin being forgiven, without your and my sin being paid for, without your sin and my sin in some way being dealt with, you and I will never see God's love. We'll never see it. We'll never stop running and hiding from God. Maybe you know some people like that in your life. And that's the tension of the redemption story, isn't it? That's the tension of the history of redemption that we find in the Bible. And that's the third element of a great love story. There's a tension that increases, a tension that increases. In the romantic comedy, You've Got Mail, we see this played out. Tom Hanks is a bookstore tycoon, and he's opening a superstore just around the corner from a little bookshop owned by Meg Ryan, if you remember. Effectively putting that little bookshop out of business. And when they meet in person, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks Meg Ryan hates him for doing this, doesn't she? She resents him for taking her bookstore away from her. But he takes a liking to her, doesn't doesn't he? But he knows he'll never, ever, ever be able to get over that barrier of hatred. So what does he he decide to do? Decides to get online and find her and begin wooing her anonymously through emails, right? That's his plan, to woo her. And as the movie progresses, you see that she begins to like this guy online. As a matter of fact, she she even begins to love this guy online. And she, at one point in in the movie, she says, can we meet? You remember his reply? We'll meet someday, but not now. We'll meet someday, but not now. And that's what the whole movie centers around. There's this slowly increasing love tension throughout the movie, building up to when we are expecting them to come together. That's the story of redemption, guys. (laughs) That's the story that we see in the Old Testament, God wooing us and telling us how he loves us and saying, we're going to meet someday, but not now. Not yet. That's the story of redemption. That's what the prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament are all about. 1,500 years of this tension. We're going to meet someday, but not now. Not yet. God wanted us to know that the one who loves you is coming. And that is Christ. In Genesis 15, right after, he says, oh, what have you done? In verse 15, he tells us, I'm coming from the seed of a woman. Right after, two verses after, 
I'm coming. In Genesis 12, God promises Abraham that all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I'm coming, and I'm going to bless the whole earth. In Numbers 24, the prophet declared, I see him, but not now. Behold him, but not near. God is saying, I'll meet you, but not yet. In Isaiah 7, God tells us that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him what? Emmanuel, God with us. I'm coming, and we will be able to embrace in the flesh. Isaiah 35, God tells us the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. I'm coming to cure your blindness so that you can see my love. In Isaiah 49, God says, Captives come out, those in the darkness be free. I'm coming to free you from your captivity. You don't even know you, know, you have. In Isaiah 53, God says, I'm coming to be pierced for your transgressions. I'm coming to be crushed for your iniquities. I'm coming in the punishment that brings you peace. I'll take. I'm coming and by my wounds, you will be healed. I'm coming to take your place, guys. I'm coming to pay the price that, that you can't pay. I'll do it. I'm coming, but not yet. Soon. Do you feel the tension? Do you feel the buildup? Do you feel the love? In Malachi chapter 3, he says, The one, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come. And then silence. I'm coming soon. If you had to distill the message of the whole Old Testament down, you could possibly distill it down into saying, I love you, and we will be together, but not yet. But as everybody knows, there has to be a fourth critical element to a great love story. And that fourth critical element is a satisfying conclusion. There has to be a happily ever after. We all look for it. We all wait for it. That's the critical element in a great love story. Who can forget the great movie When Harry Met Sally? A great romantic comedy. Harry, played by Billy Crystal, meets Sally early on in the movie. And the great barrier is their relationship. They just don't get along. And there's that tension that builds up throughout the movie where you see them starting to begin to love and appreciate one another. And they always meet on New Year's Eve. One New Year's Eve they have a fight and Billy Crystal is alone walking the streets of New York City. And he realizes that he loves Sally. And he starts running. You remember that scene? starts running through the streets of New York, running towards the party where he knows Sally is. And Harry sees Sally at the party, and their eyes meet, and they come together. And Harry says this, I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, 
You want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. They kiss and we find out that they spend the rest of their life together. What a satisfying conclusion. People, the satisfying conclusion that we celebrate today is the birth of Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ. God did not run across town to be with us. He ran across time and space to be with us. To be born as a little baby. To take on flesh. To fulfill the promise of I'm coming but not yet. This is the not yet. To bring to conclusion the anticipation, God becoming man. God taking on all the frailties and infirmities of the human condition. God taking all the, the, the dangers and dilemmas of being human. He came from the palace to the poorhouse to be with us. To live for us the life that we can never live You can never live a life pleasing to God outside of Christ. He delightfully obeyed God perfectly. And eventually, he died for us the death that we deserve. That's the cross. He died in our place. He took the hatred of God. That hatred of sin that God has was focused on Christ that day. Absorbing all of God's hatred of sin, effectively removing the barrier. He removed the barrier. And he removed it so that he can offer us what we're blind to God's love. That's what he offers us a relationship with God. That's the gospel, guys. And that is the satisfying conclusion that this day offers. Every person. Jesus offers each one of us a perfect relationship with the person that loves you the most. A loving relationship with God. You see, the offer of the gospel is nothing less than here's your happily ever after. That's the gospel. If you're here today and you feel a tug at your heart, If you feel something in your heart, you hear the gospel and you feel something, you might be realizing perhaps for the first time that you want to spend the rest of your life with the person that loves you the most. And I encourage you to make today that day. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in the baby Jesus will not die, but have everlasting life. That's the happily ever after, people. That's the happily ever after that we celebrate today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Apply it to our heart, spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.